0: Hello, I'm Kathleen Lawrence, a nurse consultant at the Division of Nursing Homes here at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Today I want to share with you some of the key changes to the requirements and interpretive guidelines around admission, transfer, and discharge rights. As you may be aware, the new requirements are being implemented in three phases. All of the requirements for admission, transfer, and discharge rights were implemented in phase one, November 28, 2016 with the exception of Section 483.15 C21, documentation, and Section 483.15 C22, information conveyed to the receiving provider, which will both be implemented in Phase Two, this November 28, 2017. I'd like to summarize the changes you'll notice for admission, transfer, and discharge rates. The tags for this section start with F620 admissions policy and go through F626 permitting residents to return to facility. The entire regulatory section has been reorganized and the guidance expanded. F620 admissions policy contains two new requirements, then follows F621 which addresses equal access to quality care and has minimal changes. F622 covers the transfer and discharge requirements. It contains new requirements and new guidance. Next, we'll continue with F-623, which contains the notice requirements before transfer and discharge. This tag contains new requirements and expanded guidance. F-624, orientation for transfer, has minimal changes to the requirements, but does have expanded guidance. F-625, notice of bed hold, also has minimal changes to the regulation. And last is F-626, permitting residents to return, Here you'll find new requirements along with expanded guidance. For this training, we'll be focusing on F-620, F-622, F-623, F-624, and F-626. Now we'll drill down to look at specific changes to F-620 admissions policy. The first new requirement in this section is that facilities must not request or require residents to waive potential facility liability for losses of personal property. Compliance for this regulation requires facilities to develop policies and procedures to safeguard residents' personal possessions without effectively prohibiting a resident's use of his or her personal possessions. This provision is not intended to make facilities automatically liable for every loss, regardless of whether or not the facility is aware of the extent of personal property brought into the facility. Examples of policies and procedures could be that a facility establishes a process to document high-value personal property, and or the facility works with the family to ensure safety of certain items such as cash, valuables, and medical devices. The guidance also refers to the resident rights requirements regarding safe environment and misappropriation of resident property. Another new provision for this admissions policy section is that facilities must inform residents prior to admission of any special characteristics or service limitations. For example, a facility may have a religious affiliation that guides its practices and routines, or a facility may have limitations in the type of medical care it can provide. What if a resident develops a need for a specific type of care the facility does not offer? If the resident knew the facility did not offer this type of care when first admitted, it may make the need to transfer or discharge more predictable and understandable. Now we'll look at F622 for transfer and discharge requirements. We've expanded the current definitions of transfer and discharge and added some new definitions to the guidelines. In addition to the existing definition language the guidance adds that transfer also refers to when the resident expects to return. For discharge we've added that discharge refers to when return is not expected. And we have two new definitions that are first seen in F622. The first new definition is for facility initiated transfer or discharge which means a transfer or discharge which the resident objects to, did not originate through a resident's written or verbal request, and or is not in alignment with the resident's stated goals for care and preferences. Then we have resident initiated transfer or discharge, which means the resident, or if appropriate, the resident representative has provided verbal or written notice of intent to leave the facility. This does not include a resident's general expression of a desire to return home or an elopement for a resident with cognitive impairment. We believe these definitions will help guide a surveyor's investigation of concerns related to transfers and discharges. The F-622 transfer and discharge requirements generally apply to transfers or discharges initiated by the facility, not to resident initiated transfers and discharges and are intended to specify the limited conditions under which a facility may initiate transfer or discharge of a resident. Surveyors must determine whether a transfer or discharge is resident or facility initiated. Discharges following completion of skilled rehabilitation may not always be a resident initiated discharge. The medical record should contain documentation or evidence of the resident, or resident representative's verbal or written notice of intent to leave the facility, a discharge care plan, and documented discussions with the resident, or if appropriate, his or her representative, containing details of discharge planning and arrangements for post-discharge care. Additionally, the comprehensive care plan should contain the resident's goals for admission and desired outcomes, which should be in alignment with the discharge, if it is resident initiated. Section 483.15 C1 is a new provision which requires that when a resident chooses to appeal his or her discharge, the facility may not discharge the resident while the appeal of the discharge is pending. Additionally, if a resident's Medicaid application is denied but appealed, the resident is not considered to be in non-payment status. If the resident or his or her representative appeals a discharge while in the hospital, The facility must allow the resident to return while the appeal is pending unless there is evidence that the facility cannot meet the resident's needs or the resident's return would pose a danger to the health or safety of the resident or others in the facility. If there are concerns related to a facility's determination that it cannot meet a resident's needs, surveyors should assess whether the facility has recently admitted residents with similar needs. A facility's determination to not permit a resident to return while an appeal is pending must not be based on the resident's condition when originally transferred to the hospital. The other new provision in this section at 483.15 C3 specifies the information that must be conveyed for facility and resident initiated transfers. Information that must be conveyed at discharge is covered at 483.21 C2 F661 discharge summary. Now we'll move on to F623, which involves notice before transfer or discharge. A notice of transfer or discharge must generally be provided to the resident and resident representative 30 days in advance of a facility-initiated transfer or discharge. However, there are certain situations when it may not be practicable to provide the notice 30 days in advance such as emergencies where a resident must be transferred or discharged quickly because the health or safety of individuals in the facility would be endangered, or to address a resident's urgent medical needs. Other situations might be when a resident's health improves, allowing a more immediate transfer or discharge, or the resident hasn't been residing in the facility for 30 days yet. In any of these cases, the notice must be provided as soon as practicable. A new change related to providing notice of transfer or discharge to the resident or resident representative is that facilities must now also send a copy of the transfer or discharge notice to the Office of the State Long-Term Care Ombudsman for facility-initiated transfers or discharges. The intent of sending copies of the notice to the ombudsman is to provide added protection to residents and ensure that the ombudsman is aware of facility practices. The copy of the notice to the ombudsman must be sent at the same time that notice is provided to the resident or resident representative, except when the resident is transferred on an emergency basis to the hospital. In this situation, the facility may send the copy of the transfer notice to the ombudsman when practicable, such as on a list sent on a monthly basis. However, if for some reason the resident is not permitted to return to the facility after the emergency transfer, The facility must then provide the resident and representative with a notice of discharge and at the same time send a copy of the notice of discharge to the ombudsman. And lastly, a copy of the notice is not required to be sent to the ombudsman for resident initiated transfers or discharges because the notice requirement does not apply to resident initiated transfers or discharges. Again documentation in the medical record must clearly show whether a transfer or discharge is facility or resident initiated. Now let's discuss F624, orientation for transfer or discharge. The regulation itself has minimal changes. However, the guidance has been revised to clarify how to generally use this tag. The guidance explains how the requirements at F624 generally apply to the immediate orientation and preparation which must occur before transfer, such as to the hospital or therapeutic leave, or a discharge under emergency or immediate circumstances where complete discharge planning is not practicable. Examples of orientation preparation could involve explaining to a resident why he or she is going to the emergency room or other location, working with the resident's family or representative to ensure that the resident's possessions are not left behind, and handling transfers or discharges in such a way as to minimize anxiety or depression. For other concerns related to how a facility planned a discharge that meets the resident's health and safety needs, surveyors should refer to the requirements and guidance at F-660, Discharge Planning Process. New regulatory language adds that the facility must orient and prepare the resident regarding his or her transfer or discharge in a form and manner that the resident can understand. The form and manner of this orientation and preparation must take into consideration factors that may affect the resident's ability to understand, such as educational level, language, communication barriers, and physical and cognitive impairments. The facility must also document this orientation in the medical record. Including the resident's understanding of the transfer or discharge. Lastly, let's take a look at F626, permitting a resident to return. This section of the admission, transfer, and discharge rights requirements contains new regulatory language relating to permis- permitting residents to return at section 483.15E1. The regulation states that. If the facility determines that a resident who was transferred with an expectation of returning to the facility cannot return to the facility, the facility must comply with all of the requirements in this regulatory section as they apply to discharges. In other words, if a facility is not going to permit a resident to return, the facility is effectively discharging the resident and must provide and document a basis for the discharge and provide notice to the resident, his or her representative, and send a copy of the notice to the ombudsman. Keep in mind that facilities are required to permit residents to return after hospitalization or therapeutic leave. A facility may have concerns about bringing a resident back based on the resident's condition when originally transferred to the hospital. However, when a hospital is ready to transfer a resident back to the facility, the facility should ascertain an accurate status of the resident's condition which could be accomplished through communication with the hospital or by facility staff visiting the hospital to assess the resident. The facility should find out what treatments, medications and services the hospital provided to improve the resident's condition. If the facility cannot provide the same treatments, medications or services, then the facility may not be able to meet the resident's needs. The guidance also describes how the facility could document efforts of working with the hospital to ensure a resident's condition is within the facility's scope of care. For example, the facility could ask the hospital to attempt reducing a resident's psychotropic medication and monitor symptoms so that the facility can determine whether it will be able to meet the resident's needs upon return. We've also added key elements and deficiency categorization examples to this tag to help evaluate concerns related to permitting a resident to return to the facility after hospitalization or therapeutic leave. You may notice some overlap between the requirements at admission, transfer, and discharge rights and the requirements for discharge planning and discharge summary found in the Comprehensive Care Planning section. We have added referrals in the Admission Transfer and Discharge Rights Guidance to help surveyors determine when the discharge planning and discharge summary requirements might be the more appropriate area to investigate an identified concern. Now, let's look at the Critical Element, or CE, pathways, which can also be used to help investigate concerns related to transfer and discharge. The Admission Transfer and Discharge facility task has been removed and the CE Pathways for Community Discharge and for Hospitalization have been revised. The Community Discharge Pathway refers the surveyor to tags related to transfer and discharge rights and to the tags related to Discharge Planning and Discharge Summary, which are found in the requirements related to care planning. The CE Pathway for Hospitalization helps the surveyor investigate concerns related to transfers to the hospital and also directs surveyors to the tags related to transfer requirements. This concludes the training on admission, transfer, and discharge rates. We thank you for your efforts toward our shared goal of providing quality care to America's nursing home residents. I'd like to thank my colleagues who worked on this section, the new interpretive guidelines, Deborah Lyons, Teresa Bennett, and Sharon Roberson.